You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway. An attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Break a Bat. I'm your host, Al Malafrante, coming at you from Broadway with my guest host for the day, Connor Lester. Thanks for having me, Al. Pleasure to have you, Connor. Well, the MLB playoffs are upon us once again, and it's the 10-year anniversary of the 2009 Yankees, a season in which they won their most recent championship. Brian Hoke is the Yankees beat reporter for MLB.com and recently co-authored a book with Mark Feinsand titled Mission 27, A New Boss, A New Ballpark, and One Last Ring for the Yankees Core Four. The book was released over the summer and chronicles everything you'd want to know about one of the most beloved Yankee teams of all time. Today, he's nice enough to call in and talk about all that and more. Please welcome to the stage, Brian Hoke. How are you, Brian? I'm doing great. What an intro. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, that's how we do it on Broadway. We're extra theatrical around here, you know? Beautiful. Yeah, no, it's a nice change of pace from uh, what we usually get out of the ballpark. So this will be fun. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, I got to tell you, I've pretty much told everyone how much I really loved your book. 2009 was such a special season to me. And I know for you and Mark, you were both on the beat together that year. Can you give me a little backstory as to what the inspiration was, you know, as far as deciding to write about that particular Yankee team and doing it when you did? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So Mark and I had both had our first books out and uh, mine was on the baby bombers and this whole new core of Aaron judge and, Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino, all these guys who uh, were now part of this team that is going to go for a World Series championship. And Mark had another book that was out. And really, we wanted to do another book, but it's difficult to do one by yourself. That's what we found. And um, so we were kind of brainstorming for something we could collaborate on. And we both kept coming back to 2009 because it was such a special year, as you mentioned. Obviously, they won the World Series, but... There's a lot more than that, too, because you had the closing of the old Yankee Stadium, this uh, grand historic venue that um, was being kind of boarded up and torn down. And, and you've got this new 1.6 billion cathedral rising across the street. And uh, I think the move between ballparks um, is how we set the stage for this season. But uh, the Yankees also went out and spent uh, almost a, a half billion dollars on 
star players like CeCe Sabathia, A.J. Burnett, Mark Deshera. And uh, it was obviously a fun year to be around, an eventful year to be around the team. But I feel like uh, for Yankee fans, the 2009 Yankees didn't get enough credit in the moment. First of all, people thought that they just bought a championship, which is not the case. I mean, they did get high-paid players, but um, a whole lot needs to go right, as we've seen in the, the years that followed. And I, I think that, you know, for Mark and I being on the beat, you figured this Yankees team, it was an older team, but they were so good in 2009, you figured there'd be more to come. So uh, you didn't really celebrate it as a one and done because you expected they'd be right back there in the postseason in 2010, 2011, 2012, and they'd probably get another World Series title. And it just didn't work out that way. And so um, when we talked to all the players and we tracked down almost everybody on that roster, uh, they said, of course, we, we thought that we were going to win more. And so they didn't enjoy it as much in the moment. So it's almost like uh, now 10 years later, we're finally giving that team its due because the teams of the 90s were celebrated so much. That one almost was an outlier because they didn't repeat and, and get back to the top of the mountain. And as it turned out, it was the final time we'd ever see Derek Jeter hold the World Series trophy. Um, same with Mariano Rivera, who just went in the Hall of Fame. And so um, it, I, it was really... A lot of fun. I keep telling everyone it was like going back to your high school or college reunion, you know, hanging out with the guys and telling old stories again. So uh, hopefully that translated in the book. Well, I certainly think it did. And, you know, one thing that you touched on, you know, was the expectation that the team is going to keep winning because of the high profile names that they brought in. That was very much the case also in the mid 2000s when you had A-Rod and you had Giambi, Sheffield, Matsui. Um there was an expectation that they were just going to keep winning. However, one thing that you touch on in the book, and Brian Cashman even acknowledges it, and he acknowledged it to CC Sabathia when he was signing him, was the fact that it was a bit of a broken clubhouse before 2009. When did you first notice the change in attitude and the change in dynamic in the Yankee locker room in 2009? Uh, almost immediately, because CC Sabathia was such a huge part of that. He was so inclusive uh, with everybody on the team, you know. Uh, I, I say that before the CC era, in, in 2007 was my first year on the beat, but I remember being around that Yankee club a little earlier than that. It was a, a fractured, not a, not a lot of fun room to be around. You know, and I'm thinking of guys like Tony Womack and Gary Sheffield and Kevin Brown and Randy Johnson, I mean, all great players, but it didn't click and it wasn't a pleasant environment to be around. And um, even circa 07, 08, when the transition happened from Joe Torrey to Joe Girardi, um, there was some of that still left over, I felt. Um, it, it was completely eradicated when CeCe Sabathia showed up. You had uh, also Nick Swisher was a huge personality, came in the room. And um, Swisher, you know, Mark Deshera talked about those guys felt that they were able to be themselves and kind of take care of business behind the scenes because Swisher was happy to be on stage and have the red light on and be in front of the camera and, and clown around and uh, do all that bro stuff. And the guys appreciated that because, A, they laughed at Swisher and they, they found it amusing, but, B, it really took the, the heat off them. And Sabathia did the same thing. You know, he was inclusive with all the pitchers. He organized a lot of outings. Uh, the guys went to Orlando Magic games during spring training. They had barbecues. They had, uh, you know, fishing excursions. The, the starting pitchers, the position players, they would all hang out. And so um, I think that is vitally important for a team. I, I don't think they all have to be 25 best friends and go out to dinner together every night, but it sure is nice if they do, and it's even nicer if they're winning, and that's that's the big thing about that team. They won 103 games, and 
Um, you had a collection of really talented players who enjoyed being around each other, and um, that's what made it so much fun to kind of dig back into. You know, you speak about talented players. There was nobody more talented than A-Rod, and A-Rod obviously was humbled that offseason, you know, after not only the steroid allegations, you know, that came against him, which he ended up acknowledging, and then, of course, his hip surgery. He didn't think he was going to play baseball again. He comes back, and he really became – he. He came back as a different man, and the team really seemed to rally around him. Was that the first time that you really saw that clubhouse rally around A-Rod? And he certainly put them on his back, you know, come the postseason. But give me your impressions on A-Rod. Yeah, I think he changed the storyline that year. And obviously, I mean, there were so many ups and downs, and he would have more downs uh, later after 2009. But that was the best year of his career because it's the only time that he was able to win a World Series. And uh, I think that the storyline between him and Derek Jeter was never going to go away. And he was never going to win that one. Um, you know, he, he was late to the party. He missed the, uh, the first world series titles. So anytime you compare Derek and a rod as everybody loved to do. And, uh, look, if, if you were a newspaper guy and you were hurting for a story, right. Jeter and a rod, it'll wind up on the back, pa- on the back page, you know, and it was, an, it was a layup. And so, uh, I feel that was done to death. And, um, it, it was, it was kind of a tiresome storyline. And then, as you mentioned, that is the spring we find out that A-Rod is a steroid user and um, he admits to his past use with the Texas Rangers. There, there would be more to come, not that we knew that at the time. but um, And then he comes back, he has hip surgery, which he thinks is career-threatening. He said the first thing he did was he Googled Bo Jackson hip surgery because he thought his career was over. And he's wondering if um, he's going to be able to, to pick up his kids at some point again, let alone turn around on a, uh, a 95 mile an hour fastball. And as it turns out, that's exactly what he did. Uh, his first game back in May in Baltimore, first at bat, first pitch, uh, he hits a three run homer in the seats in left field and he's off and running. The Yankees have a rod back. And, um, I, I think that the real stain on his career to that point had been, he was a playoff choker, even though it's not completely accurate. He, there was enough times that he didn't come through in the big games. And once they got to that October, he was coming through all the time, so many big hits, so many uh, home runs. and You know, it's funny, I, I ran into Alex uh, about a month or two ago. Uh, he was doing a game for Sunday Night Baseball, and he was asking me about the book, and he said, so how much of me did you use in it? And I said, Alex, you were a, <laughs> you're all over that book. You were <laughs> such a huge part of the 2009 Yankees, and that, that made him laugh and smile. So um, I, I think that um, Alex, in addition to everybody else, really enjoyed kind of, going back into that year and peeling back the onion for us because, uh, I mean, it was a, it was a fantastic year for them. Of course you want to talk about the best year of your career. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I, lo- I love how you mentioned, you know, the homer on the first pitch when he returned off the DL in Baltimore. One other thing in the book that you, you go pretty in-depth on is that Atlanta series that's later that summer. Um, I believe it was in June when, you know, the team was struggling um, and Alex and Francisco Cervelli were instrumental in helping turn things around that series after Brian Cashman had a talk with the team. Do you consider that to be the true turning point for the 0-9 Yankees, or do you think it was getting over the hump in August when they started to have their way with the Red Sox after not beating them all season? Yeah, for sure. I, and, and that's one thing to think about in that season is that they did start the year 0-8 against Boston, which is remarkable, the fact that they were able to come back and uh, reclaim uh, they're standing in the division because it did. It was, that was a problem to begin with. But I do remember vividly that series in Atlanta because it did feel like a turning point at that time. And um, I think that uh, it's not just Cashman flying down there because if I remember correctly, it didn't kind of. It's not like they they went out and scored ten runs in the first inning. Uh, they were they were struggling. They were getting no hit at one point there in that game. And uh, I remember Joe Girardi coming out of the dugout. And Brett Gardner got picked off first base. Brett is a, a young player at that time. Obviously, now he's the salty old veteran of the Yankees. But uh, he gets picked off first base. And Girardi comes out of the dugout. And he told us that he was not going to leave that field without getting ejected. Like, it's one of those oper- one of those times where you figure you've got to do something to fire up your team. And Joe knew the timing was right there. And uh, he was in the, the first base umpire, Bill Welke's face. And basically told him i'm not leaving here until you throw me out and eventually welke threw him out the yankees rallied back and so in hindsight yeah it it was a huge uh turn of events there to go to atlanta and right before that series that the yankees had played in miami a lot of guys stayed out a little bit too late um you know they were they, (laughs) they were having fun you know you don't get too many trips to miami when you're a yankee and so um that was kind of a a turning point in that Cashman got the team together, didn't scream and holler and throw the buffet table, but basically, and we call it the principal in uh, in the book, is because Mark Teixeira said it was kind of like getting called to the principal's office, and he, the principal doesn't yell and scream. He just tells you he's disappointed in you and that you've got to do better, and that's basically what Cashman told us he did. He's got this kind of peppy monotone that he speaks in, and um Basically told him, you're better than this. This is not what I brought you here to do. Um, we paid a lot of money for this team, so we expect results. And um, they went out and got him. So uh, you, I think it was just a matter of time, whether it happened in Atlanta or later in the year. Um, you had such a talented group there that it was going to mesh at some point. It just uh, took a little time to kind of gel together. How much of that do you attest to Jeter and A-Rod seemingly being able to coexist for the first time? Yeah, I, I think that winning cures everything. And, and I don't think Derek was ever going to call Alex among his closest friends again. And I, I, Alex obviously knew that their relationship, I, at one point he said they don't have sleepovers six nights a week anymore. Um, and, and you don't have to be. I, I think all they had to do was do their job. Derek was the shortstop, Alex was the third baseman. And, um, you know, get to all the balls you can on the left side of the field, hit the crap out of the ball when you can. And, um, they, they coexisted that way because they were pulling in the same direction, um, which was not always the case. Uh, I, I think that um, there was a lot of noise always around Alex. There still is. Um, I think that there's always a lot of attention on what he does and, 
it's all magnified. And Derek, I think, did not like that. Derek came from a, a school where you were supposed to show up the first day of spring training, focus on winning the World Series and not stop until you achieve that goal. And, um, you know, it, having fun along the way, you know, what was fun? Winning was fun. And then Alex did a lot of kind of goofy things away from the field and uh, just a totally different personality. And I think in that year, they both had terrific seasons. They were on a terrific team that could go all the way. And like I said, they were pulling in the same direction that year. And, you know, we find, we have a, a scene later in the book after they beat the Twins in the first round and they've got this kind of piano bar team party at the hotel in Minneapolis. And um, Derek and uh, Alex and Minka Kelly and uh, Kate Hudson, they're all sitting at the table together, kind of laughing, having a cup of cocktails and, um, you know, just really kind of having this, this moment. Um, I, I believe Michael Kay told us about that and, um, it was kind of like, oh, wow, you know, they, they, the team is really together. And, and I think that um, that speaks volumes when you have guys who like spending time around each other and, and are able to coexist that way. Yeah, and they both certainly had monster postseasons, as, as did CeCe Sabathia. Hideki Matsui obviously had that amazing World Series performance, as did Johnny Damon. One thing I'm, I've always been curious about, did you notice a change in the clubhouse after 2009 once Matsui and Damon had left? And do you attest that at all to, you know, part of why they didn't win after? <laughs> you know, we were talking to Johnny Damon for this book, and I asked Johnny, I said, why do you think the team didn't repeat after that? And he said, well, that's easy. They didn't bring back me and Matsui. And, uh, <laughs> You know, um, you know, nobody's a bigger fan of himself than Johnny Damon. Love him. I mean, he's the best. Um, oh, yeah, one of my but favorites. But, yeah, I too. think that, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I think that there was a kind of a change there, but and I, I understand why they did what they did. Look, Johnny Damon wanted a multi-year deal. It turned out that he would only get one year from the Tigers, but um, he was looking for three or four years. And uh, Hideki Matsui limped through that postseason. He you didn't know if he had much left in him. Uh, obviously, he had a monster postseason and uh, six RBIs in the clinching game, but it was probably the right business decision looking at it um, to say, all right, it's time to move on and go to other guys, but they didn't pick the right guys. That, that's the problem. You know, they went to Nick Johnson and Curtis Granderson came in and was a solid player, but um, there was something missing there too. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, it, they were still a postseason team, but uh, it was not quite the same juggernaut feel of 09. And um, I think that really just shows you how hard it is to repeat. That's why we don't see teams winning back-to-back-to-back World Series uh, very frequently. I, I, I think it's just it's hard to have everything go right two years in a row. Look at the Red Sox. I mean, they're a perfect example. Last year, the Red Sox, unstoppable team, 108 wins in the regular season. Uh, the Yankees spent the entire year looking up at them. And you had largely the same group come back this year, but for whatever reason, it just didn't click. And I think that sometimes that magic, I, I hate to say that because you really can't quantify what that magic is, but you know it when you're around it. You definitely felt it in 09, and um, by 10, 11, 12, it, it wasn't quite there. You knew that the Yankees had a good team, and if, if things broke right for them, they could go deep into the postseason. But um, playoffs are a crapshoot, you know, I, the, uh, the best teams get in, and it's the hottest team at the end that is able to run the table and get those 11 wins to win a World Series. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens here in uh, 2019. I, I think that this team has every capability of, of catching fire and getting hot at the right time. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. I heard your old Derek Jeter adage, the best team makes it 
the hottest team wins. Um, one, That's right. one last question uh, regarding 2009 specifically. Had they won in 10, 11, or 12, do you think Joe Girardi still managing the team this year? Ooh, that is a good question. If they had won back-to-back-to-back World Series, but then everything else continued the way it was. Or even um, if had they won just one more. Yeah. You know, I think that the thing I would I wonder about is Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman have always said that they had made up their minds before 2017 that Girardi was not coming back um, but before the postseason. They had made up their minds. And, and that team was one win away from going to the World Series. If they went down to Houston, won that Game 7, and then went to Los Angeles and beat the Dodgers, let's say they sweep the Dodgers, are you going to tell me they're really not going to bring Joe Girardi back for uh, as, after the parade? I, I'm not so sure about that. That really would have tested um, what they – they think, and obviously they've, they've made a good call with Aaron Boone. He's won 100 games back-to-back years and has had control of that team, but I find it very difficult to believe that if Girardi was coming off a World Series championship in 2017 that he wouldn't have been back for 18. I, I just... Um, it's not unprecedented, but I feel like there would have been such public outcry to bring back Girardi, and um, I, I think that he would have come back. I, I know they, they've said otherwise, but uh, that's what I believe, and um, you know, Joe Girardi's a great manager. I, if I had a franchise, I'd want Joe Girardi managing that team, and it's funny, you know, the MLB Network had Girardi on yesterday working to death when the Yankees clinched the division, and they went live to Aaron Boone on the field at Yankee Stadium, and Joe Girardi's asking Aaron Boone questions, and I'm just thinking, this is kind of awkward. Yeah. But <laughs> You're um, watching that. Joe, Joe, I think, will get another opportunity to manage. I think that um, they, he's obviously had offers, and I think uh, you'll see him in a dugout again someday. All right, Brian, uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, let's talk about the uh, current team uh, since we are in 2019. Um, um, with the uh, Domingo Herman situation, um, can you tell us anything that you've uh, heard regarding that? And um, how do you think this uh, changes the Yankees pitching staff moving up into the postseason? I think it changes it quite a bit, you know, because uh, Boone and Brian Cashman had been thinking about the possibility of using Herman as kind of this super reliever that they could bring in uh, tandem, you know, starters. They could just say you have like a J half go three innings and then you go to Herman for the next three innings. And all of a sudden it's the, the top of the seventh inning and you've probably got a lead. And um, I think they're not going to be able to do that now. I think they're going to have to go more traditional with their starting pitching. So it, it really is a big blow to take that arm out of there. And I don't want to downplay the, the importance and significance of, what's going on. Um, I mean, that is hugely important. Obviously, uh, there is no question in my mind that uh, he shouldn't be pitching right now. I, I think that um, I, you just wonder why a guy would do a thing like that. And uh, look, I, all the allegations, all the information is not out there, yet, but clearly something happened to warrant this investigation. And, um, you know, what, it, what I've heard, it's, it's not pretty. So, uh, it's disappointing news. It's surprising to me. I, I wouldn't have expected Domingo Herman would be that kind of guy and we'd be having this kind of conversation. But um, in a baseball sense, um, the, the Yankees have had all sorts of injuries and um, taken a lot of hits all year long. Um, I, I, they've had so many guys go down and hurt. Um, this is just one more thing they're going to have to overcome if they want to get where they want to be. Assuming, and, and this is asking a lot given the way that the season has gone, um, how do you see the playoff rotation shaking out? 
Yeah, I think that uh, they're giving us some breadcrumbs here to, to hint how they're going to line it up. I, I think that um, they could go James Paxton in game one. They could go Masahiro Tanaka game two. I, I could definitely see that happening. Then you have uh, Luis Severino three, and uh, that would give you the option, I believe, if the schedule works out the way I'm thinking of it. You could go to Jay Happ for a game four, or you could go back to Paxton perhaps, and um, that, that's one thing that you get the advantage of during the postseason is you get those off days, those travel days built in. Uh, the good news is for the Yankees, they'll have home field advantage uh, when they play in the division series. It's not clear if they will in the ALCS. They would probably have to play uh, game six and seven on the road if they're playing the Astros. So that's something else they'll have to contend with. But I, I think those are going to be your starting pitchers. And, and like I said, uh, you'll, you'll have... A more traditional rotation is what I expect to see as a result of the Herman injury. I just think you're not going to have the flexibility, but they've got a great bullpen. So you in the in the postseason, you don't need your starters to go six, seven, eight innings unless you're Justin Berlander and the Astros. I think that um, you're you're content to get four plus innings. If you if you get the ball through five, the Yankees have a great bullpen, and uh, I believe the statistic is they're forty two and zero when they're big four relievers at the back end pitch. Wow. Uh, and that's, yeah, 42 and 0 when they get all those guys in the same game. And, um, so it clearly has worked. I'm talking about Tommy Canley and Zach Britton and Adam Onovino and Aroldis Chapman. And so, uh, oh, yeah. if they can get the ball to those guys to hand it off, uh, I, I, I do like their chances of locking down games and, um, getting the win. And um, on the topic of the ALDS, um, who do you see as the sort of best-case uh, matchup scenario for the Yankees? I think the most likely outcome is going to be the Twins. Um, I'm not sure if that is best-case. The Yankees did have a winning record against Minnesota this season. Um, I tell you what, you've got two teams that can slug the heck out of the ball. And, and I think that if you put those teams in, Yankee Stadium, Target Field, they're going to make it look small. And um, there was that hugely entertaining series where the Yankees went to Minnesota in July. Aaron Hicks made a fantastic catch, you know, probably the catch of the year to save a, this crazy 14 to 12 game. Um, I think that's what you're going to see. And, and we're talking all about the pitching. I think that it's not going to matter a whole lot when you put those two teams head to head in the postseason because they're both going to slug. And um, I, I think that you're going to see some pinball arena baseball scores and that's the ALDS. And it's going to be the team that hits the ball over the wall the most um, that comes away standing at the end of it. Um, and this, these two teams obviously have uh, hit more home runs than any other teams in Major League history, breaking the Yankees' record from last year. So uh, I think uh, I, my scorecard, I'm going to need a little extra ink for that series if that's the way it goes. Yeah, I could totally see records. that. Yeah, for sure. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family 
cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Now, Brian, we thought it would be a fun way to wrap our time with you for a little segment that we call Fastball Derby. We would ask you a question, and you'll tell us the first thing that comes to your head. How does that sound? Oh, this could be dangerous, but uh, yeah, let's go for it. All right. Connor, why don't you start, buddy? All right, Brian. In a uh, hypothetical uh, three-way series, who wins? The 99, 09, or 2019 New York Yankees? Oh, I'm going to go 09. I think that team can can slug, and yeah, I'm going to go 09. They've got the three starting pitchers and the Yankees in L9 only use three guys. So uh, the 99 Yankees, it's funny. Nobody really gives that team a whole lot of credit because 98 was great. And then 2000, they beat the Mets. And it's almost like the forgotten team of that dynasty. But yeah, I'll, I'll go O nine, 9 And uh, since the story is incomplete here in 19, we don't know how that's going to wind up. Right. I just want to mention 99 was the first season that I watched baseball and people do get, don't, People don't give that team enough credit. They went eleven and one that postseason. So I personally look back on them very fondly, and I, I hope there's yeah. a, a nice segment of Yankee fans that do as well. Yeah, for sure. I, now I kind of want to do that in like a computer league, and uh, <laughs> let's, let's put those two teams together and see how they they find, they wind up in a best of seven. I'm in. Let's do it. All right, most theatrical Yankee you ever covered. <laughs> most theatrical i mean the first thing that pops in my mind is nick swisher i yeah. mean like i said it, the the camera was always on and uh nick uh you know i think he was actually on broadway i think he was in rock of ages once um i think he did a cameo in that so yeah swish is my answer for that i think you stick him out on on the stage tonight on broadway he'll put on a good show for you and he is married to an actress so he's his skills have go. probably gotten even better there you go that's right joanna <laughs> garcia swisher yep that's right all right uh best game you've ever covered um uh, maybe regular season since uh most memorable regular season since uh memorable you... regular season game the first yeah. thing that pops in my mind is Derek Jeter's final game um you, you know go. there was so much build up to how that was going to go. How could he author the perfect ending? And then I remember Dave Robertson blew the save and it was like, Oh my God, is he going to go out? This? They're going to lose in Derek Jeter's final game. And of course he has the inside out single to right field, knocks in the winning run. And um, I remember turning to the guy sitting next to me in the press box. We're watching this happen. And I say, how, how does he always have the perfect yeah. ending? And, um, I, I just, um, in my mind's eye, I see him leaping around first base, uh, kind of caught in midair, hands, uh, his fist in the air, just kind of hovering there. The great photograph and, um, you know, Derek Jeter's final Yankee stadium at bat ended with a walk-off single because of course it did. It was, yeah. Unreal. Who was more difficult to interview during their prime, Jeter or A-Rod? A-Rod. Uh, and you know, obviously, like I said, Alex was great to us for the book, but Derek was always available. He might not give you a whole lot. Um, it, it was always vanilla and very guarded, but he was there. He was there every single day. And if you needed a quote from Derek Jeter, just to, you know, on whatever the topic of the day was, you'd get it. Um, Alex was more difficult to track down. Um, it was kind of, 
a lot of times you'd be walking in the hallway and Alex would be coming toward you and there'd be nobody else around and Alex would have his eyes pinned to the ceiling and uh, his lips pursed and just kind of whistling to himself. And it's like, dude, I know you're, I know you see me, uh, <laughs> you know, but okay, fine. And that was just, you know, I think, um, you know, as I've talked to him more since he's retired, I think he had to build those walls around himself. He felt like he needed to insulate himself and kind of block out some of the noise because there was so much going on around him all the time. And, um, I, I guess I've kind of softened a little bit and become more sympathetic, but, um, it was kind of a pain and uh, during, during his career. And, um, a lot of that was always, especially once the steroid stuff started happening and he was suing major league baseball and, uh, there was all sorts of litigation and all, it was like covering two things at once. You had to cover Alex and then you had to cover the Yankee game. And, um, uh, so I, 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 it was great because it made for great copy and people cared about it, obviously. But I think it was definitely difficult and challenging to to have to try and keep up with all of that. All right. Um, give us a name of uh, maybe an unheralded prospect, someone in, that's in the minors right now that you think we should keep an eye out for. Oh, wow. That's a good one. Um, they do. Uh, there's a few guys, but. I, I think the one guy who has really impressed me, and I know he didn't have a great year this year, Esteban Florial was, has been in spring training with the Yankees the last couple of years. He's a, uh, a center fielder, um, five-tool kind of guy. He can, can run, he can throw, he can hit for power. He, he, uh, the speed is off the charts. Um, great defense in center field. And he, he got hurt this year in spring training, broke his wrist, cra- uh, crashing into the center field wall. But this kid, I think, is going places. I think that... Uh, you're going to be seeing him at Yankee Stadium at some point in the future. Um, he really did impress me this year. Um, they, you know, they, they've got a few other prospects up and down, but yeah, the, the first name that comes to my mind is Florial, and he's so bright and sharp and um, just really impressed me being around. He's so young. I think he's 21 going on 22, so he's got time to develop, but um, I think that he's a guy that I'm still keeping an eye on, and I want to see how the rest of that story plays out. Favorite city or ballpark to travel to on the beat? Wow. Um, favorite city? Favorite city might be San Francisco. Um, you know, the Yankees played there, and, and we got to play against the Giants this year, and, and that's such a great scene. Uh, it's less great when you have to go across the Bay Bridge and go play in Oakland against the A's. But, um, yeah, I think that San Francisco might be my favorite city to go to favorite ballpark is actually target field in minnesota i think that field they did everything right uh it's perfect it's modern it's, it's old school at the same time um you know if we're gonna pick a park that is not yankee stadium i'm gonna go minnesota and um you know it was cool to go to dodger stadium this year but I, i'm glad we don't have to do that every year i think that uh, you know it's it's kind of a time capsule that belongs in that wrigley field fenway park uh, kind of grouping and just in terms of uh, it's cool to sit there and think about what it was like in 1962, but then you realize you can't get out of your chair and you can't move around and everything is kind of uh, antiquated. So yeah, no, I'm going to go target field. I think honorable mention Safeco field uh, or T-Mobile park, what they call it now in Seattle, but um, favorite city, San Fran. Awesome. Are the balls juiced and will the balls be juiced in 2020? They are absolutely juiced, and I hope not, <laughs> but yeah, maybe. Same. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I think everybody knows something is up, and I noticed it this year, and um, the Yankees came north from spring training, and they were taking batting practice, and it was one of those 
freezing cold 38 degree afternoons and the ball was just flying to the back of the bleachers and i was thinking it's almost like they're hitting with golf balls and i'm thinking something's not right here you know i've just watched spring training for seven eight weeks in florida and the ball was not flying like that and now you get up the yankee stadium it's freezing cold and um you know they're taking off like titleists from home plate it was weird and um it's continued to be weird I said, I wonder what it's going to be like when the summer months come and it warms up and the weather's good. And I think you've seen the answer to that. So hopefully they can. I, look, offense is great. People like to see home runs. I, I have no problem with that. Um, but hopefully you can tone it down just a little bit. I heard um, when Bob Costas was doing the game this summer, I think he made a really great point when he said the home run should be an exclamation point, not commonplace. And I think that really summed it up well. Yeah, I like that. I, I like that, and I agree with that. And look, I'm not saying I want to see every game two to one and guys go back to hitting soft singles through the middle. I mean, I want to see the ball fly, and that's fun. But um, I, I do understand why the pitchers are kind of scratching their heads and saying, hey, you know, it's my job to get people out, and this is not easy. Um, so I, I think if we can tip it back a little bit in the pitcher's favor, that would be good for everybody. Now, Brian, our last two questions are going to be in the spirit of the other genre of our podcast, which is Broadway. I know that, you know, you're you're a pretty fair weather Broadway fan, but you enjoy a good show. <laughs> saw, saw Waitress recently. Um, so I did. <laughs> what'd you think of it, first of all? It was great. No, I enjoyed it. My wife wanted to see it. And um, yeah, I, I, I always enjoy going out to, to Broadway shows. And we've, uh, you know, we used to live on the Upper West Side, so we take advantage of it quite a bit and uh, head down. I, I wouldn't say I'm a diehard uh, Broadway fan, but I, yeah, I enjoy it. And it definitely, um, I'd say that is the perfect way to spend a night out in New York City. Um, you get a, get a good dinner and go see a show. And even if the show's not that great, you've, you've had a full evening. And, uh, you know, now we've got kids and we're out in Jersey. So we don't get in quite as much as we used to do, but um, still love getting in there, especially if we can find a babysitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you ever need advice on which shows to see, we're more than happy to help you with that. Now, that being said, do you have a favorite show tune? Favorite show tune? Oh, man. you! I'm not the best at this. I'm really not. But the first thing that just came to my mind was Good Morning Baltimore from Hairspray. And, oh, that's a great um, one. Hey, it's probably because I hear it all the time when we go play the Orioles. But, um, <laughs> oh, they play that I, at Camden I, I always like that. That's great. I always like that. Yeah, I always like that one. That, that one, uh, that's my answer. That's awesome. And then lastly, uh, if you want, you could give us three. If you want to rank your top three Broadway musicals, or you could just give us your favorite. Wow. Top three. This is tough, you guys. Uh, <laughs> and we saved the hardest one for last. It's like Chapman coming in in the ninth inning. You know, all of a sudden, everyone's throwing 98, 99. Then you see 103. I know. And I can't <laughs> catch up to it, man. This is not... Uh, not my forte, but I, I'd say Waitress was up there. You know, I saw Rock of Ages uh, three times. I really enjoyed that one. That was uh, that was right in my wheelhouse, and I uh, enjoyed that. And I'm trying to think, man. We, I, I think I'm going to have to take a pass on this one, guys. Um, you <laughs> know, I, I want to give you a good answer, <laughs> but... Uh, I've spent too much time at the ballpark, I think. That's more than fair, Brian. Listen, it was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for coming on. You got it. Thanks, guys, for having me. And I'll, uh, I'll work on getting that list to you. I appreciate it. That sounds great. Well, that'll close out the ball game here on Break a Bat. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. 
This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.